want to introduce God if you are just joining us today. Thanks for being here. Um, we are doing a series called God Is. Just kind of looking at some attributes. We're not diving into any exhaustive study on each attribute, but just kind of unpacking some of these attributes again that will allow us and stir our hearts to love God more. We talked about God being merciful. We talked about God being holy. Last week we started God as sovereign, and, uh, and, and there's so much to unload with this idea. I just actually um, put the pause button, and we are going to finish that one today. Um, and so again, during this whole series, we are not going to cover all of his attributes. There's so much more about him than what we will cover. Um, so we're just going to be, again, looking at some of the attributes uh, that a bigger kind of overview of holiness and merciful and, and sovereign uh, about who God is. Reminder about his attributes. He doesn't step from one to go to another. He is fully God is love, and you hear that God is love, but he's also righteous. He is merciful, yet he is also a holy judge. And so he doesn't step out of one to become another. He encompasses all of that in, in and of himself. And so today's message, God is sovereign. Again, I'm not an exhaustive study, but it was a two-parter because it was a lot of information. So what does it mean that God is sovereign? Just a couple of little things here as we get started. I talked about this last week as we can go to the next slide. Sovereignty means ultimate, supreme power and authority. Ultimate. And so in Scripture, if you look at the idea of you unpack the Scriptures that God is sovereign, God being sovereign means He is in complete ultimate control over Everything, not just some things, everything. He has the right to do anything according to his own will. He acts with complete freedom without external control. Nothing and no one controls him or tells him what to do. He is infinite, all-knowing, all-powerful, self-sufficient, in need of nothing or no one. He is the one and only king and rules and reigns over all the universe. That is God in his sovereignty. Which again, then... Then you have to ask this, this question, why create us? Matt Chandler says, why create a bunch of glory thieves? And it reveals his great love for us. He doesn't need us. God was not lonely up in heaven going, man, I really wish I had a companion. He was self-sufficient from the very beginning. He created by his own will for his glory because he Love it. God, but God is in the league on his own. He's a boss and subject to no one. Again, our, our temptation is to try to understand God and explain him in human terms or as it compares to us. And so, like, for example, when you hear one of the attributes of God, and this is throughout Scripture, God is a jealous God. And there are some people that really have a hard time even hearing that. God is a jealous God. It's not like human jealousy. Don't compare it. Don't even get close to what it means to be humanly jealous. God being jealous is that He created us for Himself, and that His heart is for us. He is not an emotionally unstable, jealous God. When He talks about an attribute of jealousy, do not confuse that with human jealousy. And so God is in a league of His own. He is the Creator. We are the created. So we have to begin at the place of who He is and who we are when we look at His sovereignty. Let God define God. And so the, the ultimate place where we let that happen is His Word, what He says of Himself. I said this last week. God is not a character in our story. Some of us need to be reminded of that. 
We are characters in His story. He created us for His will and His pleasure. I'm not going to unpack everything I did last week. I'm just going to touch on a couple of scriptures. So I'm going to throw this up there. Uh, Psalm 103:19. David says, "This is the Lord has made the heavens His throne. From there He rules over." Help me out here. Everything. He's sovereign. He's supreme over everything. Love this from Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. You've heard His ways are not our ways. But this is from the message, and I, I love how this is worded. God says, I don't think the way you think. I just, I just love that. I don't think the way you think. The way you work isn't the way I work. For as the sky so high of the earth, so the way I work surpasses the way you work, and the way I think is beyond the way you think. God is saying, I'm the lead way of my own. Don't try to bring me down to your understanding. Now, God in His sovereignty and His relationship did respond to our sinfulness and our rebellion by sending Jesus, God in the flesh, God among us. Isn't that powerful? That He would come and become one of us. So He understands us fully. We will never be able to understand Him fully. So everything that you go through, and we're going to talk about that today, um, uh, as far as how sovereignty meets us personally. God's sovereignty meets us personally. And then God coming and sending Christ, God in the flesh, how He uses that sovereignly. So what does it mean for us personally that God is sovereign? Let's look at the passage that we looked at again last week. It's kind of a setup for today. Here's Paul in Romans 11. He breaks out into this worship song. He is writing to the Roman church and he just breaks out into worship. He said, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible. This is a New Testament passage. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. So, again, Paul is looking back. He hears the, the voice of Isaiah in Isaiah 55, and he's really echoing that, saying, It's still true. We do have Christ, but don't, don't think that we've plummeted the depth of God's knowledge. <laughs> for who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to give him advice? And who has given him so much that he needs to pay it back? For everything comes from Him and exists by His power and is intended for what? His glory, right? Everything. All glory for Him forever and ever. So, all of creation, everything, including me and you, the, the bottom line that we have to understand when we understand God's sovereignty and, and grasping a little bit more of what it means that He is sovereign is that you and I, all of creation, all of humanity that has lived from you know, in the past to now, to in the future, every human being on planet Earth is created by God and for God. He looks at you and he says, that's mine. And we are created to bring him glory. Now, again, we're going to get into a moment where the gift in his sovereignty, he gives man free will. He does not make us do anything. He doesn't make us do anything. And, and then we have all those questions of sovereignty, right? If he's sovereign and he's in control of everything, then why doesn't he just why why you know why is there evil why does he why doesn't he just make us be good right? Thinking, well, the bottom line is, and we can't really unpack all of this because it would take too long. Is that he created and in his sovereignty and his supreme rule, and that he's the boss and he calls the shots. He gives us the gift of free will. And then we go, well, predestination and free will. If he predestined us, and do we even have control? Does it matter? Is that case for us? Well, whatever will be, will be. It's already decided. And so, where do, they're both in the Bible. There's scriptures that they, they can coexist. 
And so in faith we trust Him, but He does give us free will. He gives us free will. And so all those questions of why is there suffering, why is there bad things if God is in control? And ultimately we go back to the very beginning. Remember when He created Adam and Eve, and He created the first mother and father. He did not put them in the garden and say, I'm going to make you serve me. Remember, there was a, there was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and he said, here's, here's one rule, there's just free will, don't touch that tree, or it will bring death upon you. So God's original intention of all creation, when God spoke the world from existence, everything was flowing as it should be. Remember, when during creation, and God created this, he said, it's good, it was, it's as it should be. And then we have Adam and Eve, the temptation in free will, that they are given a level of dominion and authority. They touch the tree that God says, don't. Don't do that. I have a better plan. But it sent the world into a fractured state. And so now, as the earth goes and as, as life goes and, and, and time goes, we see what Paul says in Romans 8, that the earth groans and we groan, and that's why we age and we eventually will, as the Lord carries and does not return, we will die from this earth. And we groan, and the earth groans, and, and Paul says, why is it groaning? It's wanting to be made right again. And Jesus will return. His promise is that He will come back. Remember when the, when He ascended to the Father, He said, go wait for the Holy Spirit. Remember what the angels said. They said, this same Jesus will return again. And when He came the first time and He was born of us, uh, born as one of us as a baby. We celebrate because he, you know, he grew up. He endured temptation on us. He endured the cross. Took upon our sin and shame. Died and he rose from the dead. That first time of coming, he did set everything spiritually right. But he didn't set all of creation right. That will happen the next time he comes because there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And we can get into all the eternity uh, talk, but that, that, that's a different topic for a different day. But Jesus will one day make things right. And in the meantime, there is a groaning. But what Paul says is there doesn't have to be a groaning in our spirit. We're created to know Him and be known by Him, to bring Him glory, to be in a relationship with Doug's here this morning. We're created to be in a relationship with God. And that was broken down. Jesus reconciled that. It's a beautiful, a good news. But God still sovereignly rules over everything, even in the brokenness, even in the hardship, even in sin, um, and how sin brought brokenness. God is sovereignly, supremely ruling over all of it. And so what does He do with all of that? What do we do with all of that? And, so, and I talked a little bit about this last week. There was, that, there was been a wrong doctrine in that God had complete dominion and control. And then when He created man, He gave man complete dominion and control. Because it does say that He gave Adam and Eve dominion. That is not complete dominion and control. God would never give complete dominion and control to His created. What happened was they were given a stewardship, a management level of dominion and control, which we are all given. 
That's what for free will. And I use this analogy last week because the store owner and the store manager. We are the store manager of our lives, and and, and we have a stewardship responsibility. We do have some level of dominion and authority in the level of management, not ownership. It's really important for us to understand that because that is where when sin came into the world, it wasn't just two people touching a tree. It was two people saying, we can be better at God than God. You understand? Sin boils down to us saying, I will do better with my life. I understand God doesn't want me to do this and He loves me as a better plan, but I'm going to do it anyway because I have a better plan. That's ultimately the, 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 the basis for all sin is why would God call us to a standard? Why would God call us to say, don't do that? And, 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 and the Bible in relationship to God cannot be just boiled down to what you shouldn't do. But what God says is, I don't want you to do that. I have parameters for you to operate in because I have best in mind for you. And when you choose sinfulness, you will eventually choose death because sin, sinfulness leads to death. And so God gives us management, stewardship. That's why when we stand before Him, we want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant, good and faithful manager, good and faithful steward. Because He will get a judgment as the owner. And so the level of authority or dominion that we have is simply in the area of management. And what is the management? What do we do with our lives? We find out what the owner wants us to do. That's the relationship. God, how do you want me to live my life? Because you created me for your glory. I can't just all of a sudden take over and do everything I want to do. That's why he sets the parameters in life. And these parameters are for our good, not for our harm. And so God says, here's how I want you to do life. Here's how I want you to do marriage. Here's how I want you to do family. Here's how I want you to do work with integrity. And ultimately, you're going to shine the light of Jesus to the people that you come in contact with because our spirit influence, our friends, our family, the people around us, the place we live, God sovereignly put us here for His glory that we would shine the light of Jesus to everyone that we come in contact with. And so the wrong doctrine is God gave us complete authority. We lost it to the devil. And now through Christ, we're trying to get it back. It's not correct. We're never given complete dominion. but stewardship. Again, I said this last week, where some people say that we have enough authority that we can command weather. But just speak to the storm and tell it to go. Um, if we are the weatherman, I heard somebody say, if you're the weatherman, you're the weatherwoman, then we're really bad at it then as believers, we think, and we need to go back to the table and we need to figure out what's going on because we are horrible weather people. Because there's still storms that come and destroy things and take life and, and, and because of the fracturedness of the world and those things will not be set right until Christ returns. So that's why we have brokenness. That's why we have suffering. That's why we have those things that we've grown to wait for His return. Now again, we can pray, we can ask the Lord, we can boldly approach the throne of grace and ask the Lord boldly, but we do it with humility. God will please remove that storm. And God has intervened at times and He's moved on because of the prayers of His people. And again, He partners with us that we would know Him greater, but we ask in humility. We can ask boldly with humility. Does that make sense? Not arrogantly, 
Not telling him what he's going to do or not do. It's saying, God, you're in control. I love you, but as your children, we're asking that you would intervene, and sometimes he does. And we see the miraculous happen. But we have to be very careful. And so God gives us this free will in his sovereign will. And so let's, let's jump into part two today. A couple of scriptures that I'm going to, uh, that I believe are parallel. First one is Genesis 50. Um, I, I, I kind of call this the Genesis 50-20 principle. You know the story of Joseph. Joseph was, you know, he at the time was the youngest um, son. His father favored him. And it's the 12th, where we get the 12 tribes of Israel. His father favored him, gave him a really nice coat. His brothers resented him. Uh, he was about 17, and, uh, you know, he would report to his father what his brothers were doing. By the way, that's not a good idea if you're a little brother or a little sister. That you're the, your job is to go tell dad what your other siblings are up to. By the way, dad, they're doing this and this, and, uh, and he already said that they don't like the kid anyway. And so then he would go and give them a good dad report. And so, you know, then he has dreams of greatness. And he has dreams, you know, where the seeds of wheat, you know, they're bowing, uh, the, the other seeds of wheat, the brother's seeds of wheat are bowing to his. And then he has another dream that the sun, moon, and stars are all bowing to him. And he has these dreams that one day he's going to be given greatness. Of course, that's not the thing, that's not the, the dream that you should probably share your brothers who don't like you very much. Hey, guys, by the way, one day I know you hate me, but you're going to bow down to me one day. Yeah, right. So they, again, as we, the story goes, they don't like him. They're gonna, they want to kill him, but one brother speaks up for him. They throw him in a pit. They sell him into slavery. He ends up in Egypt. And it's just every kind of step that seems to go. He goes from dreams of greatness to being turned on by his brother, thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, looking as a slave at Potiphar's house, being falsely accused of sexual assault, sent to prison, forgotten about, because it says, that as he's in prison, you know, he interprets the dreams of the baker and the, 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 the cupbearer of the king. And one of them dies, one of them is executed, the, well, the cupbearer lives, and he says, hey, don't forget me, tell the king about me, right? And I love the Bible where it doesn't you know, hold any punches. It says that the cupbearer, when he left there, and he says he promptly forgot about him. Has it been promptly forgot about? Yeah, I'll remember you. Not two years later, he's sitting in this prison, and Pharaoh has a dream. Okay. And then the cupbearer goes, oh, I know a guy that interprets dreams. Bring him here. And we know the story that he advances into leadership in Egypt, has a plan to save the people because of great famine coming. And you guys know the story. And eventually his brothers come to him because they are in need, right? They don't know who he is, and they bow before him, right? They don't, this leader of Egypt, and we humble ourselves, and then he plays a few tricks on them, and then finally, he reveals himself to, to them of, of, of who he is. And they are fearful that he's going to, you know, maybe kill them or, or you know, take vengeance on them, but he does not. He's, he's broken, they're broken. And then he says this in Genesis 50, he said, you intended to harm me. You intended to harm me. Your plan, your plan was to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. And look, the saving of many lives, doesn't that have the gospel all over it? 
That story from the Old Testament, it foreshadows the gospel message that everything that happens. And again, God didn't just say, well, I'm not going to allow his brothers to do that. God allowed these things to happen. He doesn't cause it, but he allows it. And he's always working. You intended to harm me, but God intended it. God turned it around. God took this bad news situation. He took all those years where I had felt forgotten and I felt rejected and he understood rejection and he understood imprisonment and suffering. He said, you guys intended to harm me, but God turned it all because God is sovereign even over your attempt to harm me. God is in control. And he saw that God was in control. And he said, here's what God used it for, the saving of many lives. And God will use our story. And this is why it's so important for us to understand that His sovereignty needs us personally. His sovereignty is not just this big umbrella thing to say, oh, God is sovereign, and that doesn't somehow touch me, that we can trust Him to say, God is sovereign over everything to use your life for His glory, even to the saving of many lives. That's what God does. And then we, own, we, we all know the Romans 8, and this is what Paul says, I believe, that these parallel. That, and we know that in... What, some things? Most things? No, if God is sovereign, it's all things God works for the good of those who love Him who have been called according to His purpose. And I, I understand it to a certain level. We hear that passage, and we can somehow get lost in it and saying, but you don't understand the things that I have faced. And there's some people that we can just honestly, we, we can't. But we do serve a God that can, that does. And he can sovereignly use things for his purpose. If you love him, he will use all of it sovereignly. And he will work it out for good, just like he did with Joseph. All things. All things in Christ. Yes, when Jesus is Lord and Savior of your life. Yes. Allowing him to be God and not us. There's nothing that God can't sovereignly redeem for His glory. And so I just want to go over a few things. They're not up on the screen, but I just want to share with you a few things. That means He's sovereign in us and through us during our circumstances of life, just the everyday stuff, the day-to-day troubles, the hardships, the job that you may not like, the struggle that you may be having in relationships, maybe financial struggle. And again, sometimes, again, in free will, we bring some of these things on ourselves. There's, there, are, there, there are those consequences to our decisions. But even over that, when we repent and we turn to Jesus, we can sovereignly begin to redeem it. Isn't that great? That's the God we serve. That's the message throughout Scripture is even when we blow it, even when we are suffering consequences based on our free will decision, God says, I can sovereignly redeem that to my glory and your good. And so He gives us hope and peace in the midst of those storms. That's not just flowery language. That's true. People see His work revealed in our hearts for His glory. That's why Peter says, be ready to give an answer for the hope. The people that you work with are the people that you're around, friends or loved ones, and they see you walking through the day-to-day hardships of life, and they say, how do you have peace when you're walking through that? How do you have hope? And ultimately, you can say, Christ in me, the hope of glory. So He's sovereign over our circumstances. He's sovereign over suffering, right? 
You've heard me mention this, Johnny Erickson Pata, who broke her neck. She paralyzed from the neck down. She's one of the oldest living quadriplegics. And you know, many of you know her story and, and, and how God used her. You know, she could have just looked around and, and just been upset and bitter. And she had to walk through that um, in her heart and her emotions um, at first, where, where, where she asked God all those questions. Why did you allow, I love you. Why did you allow this to happen? But she began to see, and now she has a worldwide ministry and ministers to many, many people. And people have come to know Jesus because of her suffering story. But it's not wasted. And the, the lives, the countless lives that she touched. Nick Voyages, you know, the guy born without arms and legs. If you're ever tracking along with him and... and and, and where he, uh, at first, you know, when he was a, a kid, he wanted to kill himself because he just felt like there was no purpose in his life. And he talked about the sadness of having no arms and no legs, and I'm completely dependent on other people. I can't scratch my back. I can't do the just a little simple things. I have to have somebody help me all the time. But now God is using his story over all the world. He speaks to thousands upon thousands of people coming to know Jesus through the suffering of this young man. And so God, he's seen God sovereignly rule. And one of the more recent uh, newsletters that he sent out, he said, you know, I, I stopped praying for it. I used to pray, I know God can give me on some life. Now I'm praying that God won't. Because I know it's all temporary, and I know that he's using this for his glory. And, and if I'm not in this situation, I may not have the audience or the impact. God is using this stories to reach more people for his glory. We have the story of Job, right, Job? Remember, Satan asked God, he said, can I touch this? So God doesn't cause it, but he does allow it. And that Job is a hard book for all of us to read. But he is, God allows it ultimately for his glory. You know, and Job is going through a lot of things. Job is questioning God, and, and, and you know, he never curses God, but why did you let this happen? I want to defend myself. What are you doing up there? Do you care? And so he somewhat indicts God based on his experience. And then he had his three friends. With friends like that, who needs enemies, right? And if you're reading through that, what is the source of the, you know, where, where God rebukes them at the very end? And some of the things they say sound very good, right? Well, here's what God is telling them. Stop trying to fit me in a formula. Because they're saying, well, surely, Job, that you did this, and they're trying to, they're trying to find that perfect, well, A and plus B and C and D, well, then that's why you're suffering. And then the other one will go, well, no, it's more G, F, H, you know, and, and they're all trying to figure out this formula of, because surely God wouldn't do that. And they're trying to speak and, and they're trying to put themselves in the place of God and saying, well, if you follow the formula, none of that will happen. The only problem is there is no formula. We're called to walk with Jesus in a relationship to know Him and be known by Him. There are no formula. And so Job asks God some questions, and then at the end, God says, I have some questions for you, Job. He basically says, put your big boy pants on. I'm getting ready to ask you a few questions. The King James says, Lord, who are you? Gird your loins or something like that. You know, in other words, strap on what I'm going to have to ask some questions for you. He said, you know, remember when I laid the foundation of the, oh, that's right, you weren't there. When I made rain and snow, you know, that mountain that I crafted by my hand, by the breath of my mouth, I made that, you know, those planets out there? 
and the vast solar system beyond spoke that in Where were you? And he gets at the end, he asks Joe some questions, and here's Joe, and I love this humble response. Joe said, I've only heard about you before, now my eyes are seeing you. I have nothing else to say. I have nothing else to say. You are holy. Everything you do is right. And then that humility, God restored Joe. Now, there's still pain, there's still suffering, but God works in his life. And so God is over suffering with us. God is over suffering and over keeping me clean for his glory. I know, I don't throw that out there lightly. If you have endured suffering, I don't throw that out there lightly. But God can redeem it. God can, he, he's also sovereign over tragedy. We had Tim and Allie come, remember that story, they lost their four-month-old little baby girl, no history of metaphysics in a horrible moment in the evening she goes from being with them to not going to go to them at the hospital saying your daughter is gone. And they share their story with us and they talk about the holy mystery of suffering and tragedy. It was painful, yet God is continuing to use their story. They, they now have a little baby boy. Um, God has blessed them. But they are God's using the sword to bring people to Jesus for the glory of God because people just look at it and say, how, how can you still live for God? Jan has shared her story. Jan instead Nikki of uh, losing Adam, her son Adam, Nikki's brother Adam, very tragically. But yet God continues to use their story and they share that fear and God is still free, bringing people to Jesus and revealing Christ through the tragedy. But it's not a waste in God. It's unbearable loss. But God continues to use it. Why does God allow that? You know, sometimes, um, sometimes, obviously, we can't see it, but people begin to speak and they have authority to be able to speak into people's lives and hearts because they have walked through it. One guy called it that we become wounded healers. That's why when people walk through an addiction and then God sets them free, that they can begin to minister to other addicts and they say, I can have them there, I know. I know. I know what you're facing. And so wounded healers, God begins to use this story sovereignly. He's sovereign over healing and the miraculous. God is a healing God. He is a miraculous God. And sometimes He will intervene miraculously into the affairs of men. Again, to reveal His glory. To reveal people to, to people that He is real. Here, my mom was supernaturally healed when she was three years old, fell out of a window, and God heals her. But God is also sovereign over not healing in this life. Stay with me here. God is also, He uses people's stories that don't reveal to minister to others when they see them continue to love Jesus. So God even sovereignly uses not healing. Um, I shared a video sometime back to Pastor Greg Rollinger. Some of you guys remember that you were here. He had a debilitating disease. It, it's very similar to ALS. It's a different disease, but it's very similar to ALS, but it's just it's progressively worse. And most of these guys have passed and loved Jesus, believed in healing. Um, pastored in Arizona, um, large church, many people coming to know Christ through their ministry. Um, and about six months ago, Pastor Greg went to be with the Lord. But 
that video you guys watched, and he, you know, remember he has to, has to rock and to get up every morning, and he was doing that, and he just kind of went and debil- the, the debilitating disease ended up taking his life. They asked the Lord for healing every day. They prayed and believed the Lord for healing every day. But he said this, and I'll never forget that. He said, I know God doesn't cause it. But he said, but it, 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 because he's sovereign, it passes through his hand. He said, therefore, I'm stewarding it like a gift. He said, because I know that this is temporary on the other side of it is glory. And even through that, not God not healing him, many people came to know Jesus because they saw him. And they baptized this man who was wheelchair down, and he said, Your story, he told Pastor Greg, he said, Your story is what brought me to know Jesus. That's the, I got to have what he's doing, what he has. So I saw you keeping your eyes on Jesus because God is sovereign over that. And one man showed his video the Christian man. Family loves Jesus. He had cancer, and he said, "If he heals me to God be the glory. If he doesn't heal me to God be the glory." And God still uses that. He is a healer. He will eventually heal everyone. Healing was bought in the atonement, but it's not just for this life. In His sovereign will, He chooses sometimes to intervene miraculously, and other times not. And a good passage, not up in the screen, but 2 Corinthians 12. Remember, Paul has this thorn in the flesh, and there's all kinds of theology and debate. Was it a physical problem? Was it a who cares? But here's what it says: It was a it's a New Testament passage. It was a thorn in the flesh given by Satan to keep him from pride. So whether it was a physical thing or a a temptation thing, whatever it was, it was given by Satan because it was uh, God didn't cause it, but God allowed it. And here's what it says: Paul says, "I begged God, I begged God three times, please take this thing away." And here's what God says to him: Paul, my power is going to be perfected in your weakness. When you are weak, I am strong. So in other words, God says, I'm not going to kill you. I'm not going to deliver you because I, I want people to see my work in you. I'm keeping you from pride. I'm protecting you and using this. So we can trust Him. He's sovereign over all things. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't ask or speak or not. I talked about that last week. We'll pray and ask the Lord boldly. But to begin to know Him in greater ways and act the right way. We can trust Him. You see, the problem, like with Job's friends, when they're trying to figure out the formula of God, all of us can do that. Well, if you pray the right prayer, you can say the right thing, if you claim the right thing and do this right thing, then God will do this. The problem is, it doesn't always work. There's no formula. Because I've known of people that did that, and they played that to the nth degree, and they played that to the end game, and they passed away. And then there's all kinds of questions. The problem with formulas with God, it leads to torment in our spirit. And then we go, oh, I don't, I, I don't get it. I don't know what to do. I, 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 I thought this and that and the other thing, and, and it can create torment instead of staying peacefully, like Job says. I know that my Redeemer lives. And I know that on one that, that one day I will see his face. And that was the time where Job was at the worst. He had sores all over his body that the enemy touched him physically. He had lost ten of his children. Can you imagine enduring that? Lost everything. 
And I imagine that at that point, he could give, he could give or take the material blessing, but he lost his children tragically, and now he's sitting there with boils, and he lifts up his eyes to heaven, and he says, I know that my Redeemer is. And if that's all I have right now, that's enough. Stop trying to find a formula for God and know God. He wants to know you. He loves you. Let it bring you peace. And the torment is to do something wrong. Did I not pray the right prayer? Did I not have enough faith? And on and on and on. Because faith is just simply saying, God, I trust you no matter what. So I write me stuff in the bed and go, okay. Remember what they said, okay. Now God is able to deliver us, but even if he doesn't, Remember that part? Sometimes we forget that. But even if he doesn't, we win. If he does, we win. If we don't, we win. We win. What do you got now? We win because we have God. Many of you know the story of Corey Tendum. I want to share this as I close here. If you don't know the story, there's a book called The Hiding Place. Corey Tendum and her family, he was a Christian that lived back in during the Holocaust. Dutch lady, um, and when the Germans came in uh, to Holland, um, she and her family, they had a watch store, and they created a little hiding place for Jews and others who were a part of the resistance, and they hid many people. I mean, they saved many, many lives, and the story, the story can be found in the book, The Hiding Place, is a movie, Hiding Place, if you have never seen it, it's fantastic um, about what, how God used that. Ultimately, she and her sister, her dad, were all, they were arrested. They were sent to concentration camp. She and her sister were sent to the same one. Her dad was sent to another one. He died 10 days after he was arrested. But uh, as the story goes, Corey and Betsy spent time at Ravensburg concentration camp. And it was very hard. Uh, you know, you guys know the whole Holocaust was horrific. Her sister Betsy died in the concentration camp. God used Corey's story. For many, 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 many years, she was as an old woman. She would speak and share her story, and many came to know Jesus. But it really is a story on the sovereignty of God in the most horrible of circumstances. I want to read to you, um, and I, I want you to track along here, um, and then I'm going to close our sermon for today and pray for you. But um, this was just written about them. Um, and how they began to change their perspective based on the sovereignty of God. Most of us understand the atrocities of a Nazi concentration camp. We know what happened there and can conjure up the images in our imagination. Cattle cars packed with people traveling for days with nothing but a bucket in which to relieve themselves. Forced labor, starvation, torture, disease, gasping, and crematoriums. It was hell on earth. When Corey and Betsy Tenboom arrived at Ravensburg, a notorious Nazi death camp that killed nearly 100,000 women, they spent their first night in an open field, hiding from the drizzle under a thin blanket. After three days sleeping out in the open, they were taken to an intake barracks, a building designed for 400 women that held 1,400. After a month there, they were taken to Barracks 28, 28, which would be their last stop. The first night in Barracks 28, they listened to the sound of fighting as it erupted throughout the room. A burst of shouting, the sounds of flaps and punches sobbing and then quiet. Mournful tears to which they all fell asleep. Bethany remarked that there had been too little praying in that place, and the two sisters set about to change that reality. They begin to lean into a verse from 1 Thessalonians that says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. 
This verse begins to guide their approach to their own captivity and torture. Their barracks was wrapped with lights, and because of that, the guards would not come in for long periods of time. This gave the sisters an opportunity to share Jesus with the rest of the women there. Betsy would tell Corey, we can thank God, based on that passage, for the lives, because he gave it so that we could share Christ with the other women. In their barracks at night, they would huddle around the scriptures. Betsy would read a passage, and then the women closest would translate the Dutch into German, and Russian, and Polish, and back into Dutch. Then the words would be whispered along like a game of telephone until they had reached all who wanted to listen, all who were huddled around the two sisters. Then Corey would preach. She would tell them that the Nazi narrative was false, that human beings had dignity, that life was precious, and that this incredible evil was not stronger than the love of God. So it would be defeated one day. Corey's words would be translated and passed around the room as well. Over time, something strange began to happen. The women started to believe it was true. Barracks 28 became an oasis of peace in the midst of a storm of a hellish violence and torture. Every night, the women could look forward to at least a few minutes, sometimes an hour or more, in which to gather with other women to read the scriptures and pray. It became for them a source of strength. They were a little colony of heaven and a culture of hell. It is said that when we are faced with the insidious face of evil, when we block horns with the problem of suffering, we nearly always ask the same question. If God is good, if God is all-powerful, if He is sovereign, then why is this terrible thing happening? It is, after all, an impossible question. There are many great answers, but none of them settle the matter in our hearts. The reason why you know the matter isn't settled is that the question lingers, and it always lingers. You cannot make sense of suffering. You cannot reason with it or make any sense of it. The question never goes away because the answer lies in learning to transcend the question. In that Nazi death camp, Corey and Betsy were able to stop asking the question of suffering, is, is God good and all-powerful? And start asking the more essential question, how can I serve God's kingdom here and now? The movement from that first question to the second question is the movement all of us must learn how to make. The movement away from endless questions about God's power and His goodness and toward the missional question, what is God doing in this place and how can I join Him on that mission? It's the difference between despair and hope the dehumanizing power of suffering and the undeniable beauty of peace. God begins being sovereign to move us toward the question of incarnation. How does God incarnate, or how is He in or seen and working in a particular situation and circumstance? This is a sign of Christian maturity. Corey and Betsy Timbun didn't believe God put them in the concentration camp. They understand completely that it was the Nazis who put them there. But as long as they were there, they asked the missional question and got to work praying, bringing hope and peace to the place you would least expect it. The reason I think the Christmas story helps us helps make sense of evil and the problem of suffering over and against all the other things to do so is that only our story has, got, has, has a God who suffers. The power of God over evil subsists not in God's sovereignty alone, but in God's sovereign incarnation. When we suffer, God suffers with them. Only this reality offers the possibility of peace in the face of unspeakable evil. This reality is the hope of the world. That the sovereign God is the suffering Jesus means that suffering actually has the power to nurture faith. Wherever that happens, God explodes evil from the inside out. That's exactly what happened to Barrett's 28 of Ravensburg Constitution Camp. That's what needs to happen in all of our churches, in all of our towns and cities, and in our lives.
because guys, God, God's response in sovereignty to the brokenness of humanity is that He came. He came. He sent Jesus. And because of that, God wants to redeem our lives. He wants to redeem our story, our past, our mistakes. He wants to do this because He's sovereign for everything. And when we give Him our lives and we surrender our hearts to Him, all things can be turned for our good and His glory. In His sovereignty, He knows us fully through Christ because in Isaiah 53, it says He bore our sin, not just our sin, He bore our sickness, not just our sickness, but our sorrows, our shame, and our guilt. He bore our suffering, He bore our tragedies. He bore our hurts and our pains because He wanted to know us completely. The ultimate hope of the sovereignty of God is no matter what happens in this life, it's temporary. Isn't that awesome? This is temporary. That's why Paul says these, these present sufferings are these light and momentary afflictions. And this is a guy that endured a lot of afflictions. But he all that being beaten, shipwrecked, imprisoned. He said they're light and momentary compared to the glory that's awaiting us. It's temporary compared to the glory that is awaiting us. And that's why he could say, set your heart and your minds on things above and not on earthly things. We will not find earthly answers to spiritual questions. We can only find in the sovereignty of God that He came to know us personally and that He sovereignly redeems all things for our good and His glory. Will you stand with me?